Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. I am so excited about today's interview, and really, I'm excited about all of the interviews. Thanks to everyone who's been a guest on Finding Refuge thus far, and thank you to everyone who's listening, tuning in, and receiving the magic that's coming through the interviews. Today's interview is with Victoria Santos. Victoria is a leader who works for social justice and racial equity with institutions, schools, and community organizations in the U.S. and internationally. Victoria is a Spanish-fluent Afro-Latina immigrant born in the Dominican Republic. Her commitment to social justice and service has expressed itself in many forms, including designing programs, community advocacy, facilitating groups, and community development in the U.S. and internationally. Victoria emphasizes intersectional awareness, individual and collective healing, and commitment to compassionate action. And I met Victoria through SANS. We were part of a conference SANS put on, and it was really sweet to connect with Victoria because I'd actually heard of her before I met her. My best friend, Amy, is friends with Victoria and has for a while said, you need to meet Victoria, you need to meet Victoria. And so we finally did virtually through the SANS conference, and I was thrilled when she said yes to being a guest on Finding Refuge. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, Victoria. (laughs) Hello, Michelle. Nice to be here with you. It's good to see you. Thank you for saying yes to being a guest on the Finding Refuge podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I love the title of your podcast, Finding Refuge. Feels like just cozy and nurturing and holding. Yeah, it's the title of my next book coming out. And I feel the same way about it. It is cozy and nurturing and a way of holding people during a very unsettling time. So I'm glad that you, it resonates with you. I'm glad. I would love for you to share some about who you are and what you do in this spinning world, the work you do or your practice, anything you want to share with listeners. So my name is Victoria Santos and I am an Afro-Caribbean woman living right now in the area of the Coast Salish Seas and in the Seattle Puget Sound region. And I migrated. I came from the South Bronx when I in with my family. So I lived in the South Bronx and in New York and then in Massachusetts and then migrated to the Pacific Northwest in 1998. And, you know, even when I was back in the East Coast and even back in my homeland, I would say that I am a person that works at creating the conditions for people to come across our differences or our perceived differences, to be able to play together, to have meals together, to have deep conversations together, and to grow together. And so that takes many forms, whether it's working in like a school setting or working in business or an organization or theater. It's really my intention has always been to help human beings and to help myself really tap into my deepest knowing and to help 
for us as a species to evolve on this planet. And that has continued to kind of hone in the older I get and the more knowledge I acquire in terms of not just intellectual knowledge, but also embody knowledge and experiences. And that's what I do in the world. I'm at a point right now in my life where I'm really am realizing that a title is not going to encompass what I do and how I move in the world. I feel the same way because Mm -hmm. I keep evolving and changing, right? Or using a different frame or lens to talk about the work that I do or my practice. So I hear you. There is not one title that can describe what we do in the world. And I would love for you to share some about what led you to this place of connection. And it seems like working across difference as well and working to probably acknowledge and dissolve the differences between us and just what led you into this work? Because it's not, in my experience, it's not easy work. And I'm just wondering what brought you into this space. You know, it feels to me almost like it's something that I've meant to do. And therefore, it wasn't even a choice. It was more of a calling in that sense. But just the way that I grew up, I think I grew up very close to the earth. So I grew up, you know, in my early years, my formative years was, you know, running barefooted in in the Dominican Republic and just with family and community and telling stories outside and looking at the stars and being really attuned to nature, fishing and just living in that very, in that way, that very simple and yet very grounded way. And so when I came here, I found myself looking for those things. And even in, in the Bronx, like being in, in the park and trying to, you know, just finding those spaces where I could feel myself. And so it seems to me that I always had that connection, right? And so even as I, as I kept moving on in my life and going through school and being in different communities, people found me. So, and then teachers found me and I found teachers that just, you know, were, were helping me kind of along the way to harness and to validate my, like my intuition and my perception and to help me to realize that I was bigger and more than this body to help me to see that my ancestors are part of who I am. And I, just to backtrack a little bit too, in the Dominican Republic, because I grew up in a village, so I, I'm grateful I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in a village. So there was still a lot of rituals there. So every time in the different parts of the year, there would be all these ceremonies and all these drummings and singing and cooking together and walking together from village to village and sharing food. And I'm saying it to you right now, like I'm tapping into that energy because it was a different way of doing things than what I saw the things being done here. And so when I came here, I found some amazing teachers along the way that like one of them being Sabon Fusome, who well, she passed away, but she came from Burkina Faso and she particularly came here to teach people how to grieve. And so to work with her and to be with her for almost 10 years, was like being with my sister and I'm getting a little tear because she was just so special. But we did a lot of rituals together. But the rituals were really just part of what I did, the way that I was doing a lot of things back in the Dominican Republic, right? So it's like cooking meals together in community, singing to each other, calling each other to come forth. It was also just that relationship with nature. So... I even forgot exactly the question you asked, but just in general, like the path that led me here, 
Yeah, I think it was on the path that led me here. It just continues. I mean, it's continue. I met another amazing teacher around the same time as Sabonfo, but a little later that he's just been an incredibly inspiring person. And his name is Orlin Bishop. And we've been developing this beautiful friendship. And he says something like the ability to see in me what I'm not able to see in myself, right? Or the ability holds for me what I'm not able to hold in myself. And because he does that in relationship with me and many other mentees that he has and many other people in the world that he connects with and counsel and support, I can see myself expanding into something more that can be of more service to the world. That's so beautiful. Just your description or, you know, you sharing about how you came to this path and that it's an ongoing path and you continue to learn from folks and alongside teachers and I love that you shared about rituals as well, because I was thinking about them before you said something about them. And I wonder if there are specific rituals you are engaging right now, just at this time in the world, there is so much going on. And if there are rituals you're really engaging more or returning to, to help you move through all that is happening and hold everything you're holding. Yeah. You know, I'm in two places right now. Okay. Well, there's so many layers, right? So, but I can, I will describe the two main spaces that I'm in right now, because what is being asked of me right now is to let go of a lot of the things that have held me back and that have been, you know, in some of the traumatic experiences that I've had that are still very lodged in my body and that pre- really have prevented me from fully actualizing myself. So I'm in this space of very deep, deep healing and I've realized that I can go really intensely into that space, but then I need to be also very gentle with myself. So I allow myself to like release from that and just watch myself. So I'm watching myself. I'm watching the way my body is shifting. I'm watching the way the bones are hurting. I'm watching the way whatever's been lodged in my bones are being released, whatever's been lodged in my muscles is being released. Because I realize that I'm not just healing myself, but I'm also healing seven generations back. So I'm being really, really kind to myself and allowing myself to just mess up (laughs) and just not follow up on that and sleep when I want and what I need to. And if I forget to drink too much, enough water, well, you know, that's just happened today. You know, so I'm allowing like all of that to happen. And then on the other side, I'm also am constantly in the practice. And I guess the ritual would be to be in awareness practices. So I am meditating. I am const- I'm consistently meditating and I take every moment that I can. So it's not just sitting in a chair and spending hours in the chair, but it might be walking from here to the car or standing in the line or in the supermarket or, you know, when I'm seeing someone that brings a particular reaction to me, observing it and then sending them prayers or my friends are calling or texting or whatever. And they're asking me to send prayers. So I'm really, I'm trying to practice so that my life is a ritual. My life is a practice. And sometimes I'm really good at it and sometimes not. <laughs> you know, And sometimes I might burn a candle and sometimes I don't. So like now for me, it's not about the form. It's really trying to move more towards the formless. Yeah, I um, am glad you normalize that this is a practice, like ritual is a practice. And we're, I think 
in my own experience, the rituals that I am returning to at this time are different than, and the amount I'm returning to them and engaging them is different than prior to COVID and just the intensity on our planet building in the particular ways it has over the last several months, like the planet and white supremacy and racism. And are we going to take care of one another? Right. And how are we going to do that? And just the political landscape. So I love that you're like, sometimes I burn a candle and sometimes I don't. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you're engaging in ritual and meditation very intentionally. And it doesn't always look the same way based on what's going on or just where we are at a particular time. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like that piece of like our whole life is a ritual. The fact that we're born in this planet at this particular time is a ritual. And so just to really tap into that knowing and tap into that energy helps to kind of see that I'm part of a flow. And so when I need it more intensely, like when I really need my ancestors to show up, you know, like that's when I'm like, okay, you guys, this is it. You know, <laughs> Right. I would help, you know, but otherwise I really am trying to just integrate it into the everyday. Yeah. And I also really appreciate the way you're talking about life as a ritual and that that is so much of what is, is needed, that mindfulness and practice and reconnection with nature and just our essence and interconnectedness. So mm-hmm. I, that's beautiful. And I'm curious to know, just because of everything you shared, what meaning are you making of this moment? Like, or the moments, right? The, the last several months. I mean, many of the things happening are not necessarily new, but to me, it feels like something is building and different and dismantling and shape shifting. And we're being called into something pretty intense. And so I'm just wondering the meaning you're making of this moment. You know, it's again, it's one of these, this layers, this so many layers, right? So it depends at which level of my consciousness I tap into. If I'm at a deep, at a very high level of consciousness, I think this is all at normal and as it should be and as it is, because I see that the evolution of this planet and this, this galaxy is beyond my little body. You know, it's beyond. And then it brings into that, like my perception around death and dying. And my belief system is that I don't die, that my spirit doesn't die, that what dies is the body and that death is another doorway. So in that sense, I look at science and I'm seeing what science and scientists are discovering around what's happening to our solar system and this discovery of black holes and the energy that's emanating from them and how it's impacting our own system. I look at the way that the planet is shifting itself. I look at other species and what other species are doing. So I really bring it in this very wide context. That's my more conscious self. When I am caught in my small self, I am scared. And I go, ah, you know, what the fucking frack is happening, you know? And I am just like, this is madness. This is absolute madness. And when I look at the news and I see how these white supremacists have taken over the White House and how they're pushing up an agenda that is so anti-human, it's so anti-Earth. It just brings me to tears and it breaks me down. And then most of the time I'm somewhere in between because I also know the power of the invisible. And I know that my ancestors were forced on this boat to come across this passage, you know, from Africa to this continent and that their life was not in vain. You know, they didn't do that in vain. There is a bigger tapestry to this and I'm seeing the power 
in emerging in all kinds of places. I see it in young people. You know, I, I'm seeing the way that Native communities are rising. I'm seeing the, the way that Black community are rising. I'm seeing the way that other communities are like forming strong bonds with each other. I'm seeing the way that some communities, some parts of the Asian communities are forming allyship and strengthening and rising with us. And I also see the way that Mexican-Americans are banding together and fighting back. And, you know, like I see some of these young people talking about DACA and being undocumented and unafraid and like, you know, and extending for their land that was stolen from them, you know, California and all that region, you know. And so, yeah, I have hope in humanity, too. And I just pray, I just have to pray that we can be stronger than that force of evil that's manifesting right now in this in these bodies, you know, these disembodied bodies that wreaked havoc in Europe and then came here to the Americas, here and further south, and have ravaged the Americas. And then also the way that our greed and the greed have also ravaged some parts of Africa and the way that Africa is resisting and rising. So I see this as a bigger movement of humanity really standing up for justice and standing up for what's right and standing up not just on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of their neighbors and their brothers and their sisters and all of humanities. And yeah, it's it's like this virus of evil that needs to be eradicated. So I stand with those. And when I say that to you and I sense into that, I feel the strength of that. So part of the process, I think for me, is not stay in the small mind because the small mind makes me weak and takes my energy and takes my power. Wow. Everything you just named. Yes. And it brought up a few different questions for me. I really appreciate the different layers you named and how complex this moment is and that we can actually access different parts of who we are individually and as a collective. And that the small self or mind, there's fear there, but also you recognize if you stay there, that fear is not actually going to lead us to liberation. And so to me, it sounds like you have to connect to that higher consciousness and that you work to do that. that that's part of what you do. And that gives you some understanding of what's happening. And I feel similarly, like I'm like, as a spiritual person and practitioner, all of this makes sense. <laughs> and as a person in a human body, it makes no sense at all, right? And it makes sense that we're afraid though of what's yeah. going on. And so one question I have is, I've been with a lot of different, in a lot of different communities teaching about this moment and leadership and how to step into our dharma and remember our humanity. And sometimes people have questions about compassion and do we need to extend compassion to everyone or do we, given that there is evil happening, how do we reckon with that, set boundaries and extend compassion or not? Like I think people who are spiritual practitioners are like, should I extend loving kindness to Trump? right? Like people are asking me these questions and it's coming up more and more because I think their spiritual teachings are telling them to be compassionate towards everyone. Mm -hmm. And the reality that they're living and seeing is indicating, Mm -hmm. yes, he is disembodied. And so are many other folks who are causing harm at this time. And it's not actually about humanity. And so I'm just curious, you may not even think about this at all, but if you do have a thought about it, how do you feel about it? What do you, how do you respond to that? I do think about it. And I actually have thought about it a lot because I was realizing that early on, when I would look at Trump's face and his wife and his children, I would get sick. I literally 
would feel sickness in my body. And I would analyze why is that, right? And it's because when I look at their face, I see the way that they hold their bodies. And I actually see how much self-loathing is there. And so much, I don't want to project too many things onto it, right? But there's a lot there that's just painful, really painful. And so there is a level in which I could understand how painful and how hurt they are. I'm going to backtrack just one thing to tell you. I had an experience where I was in deep agony. And this was before, I think it was even before Trump got elected, but I was in deep agony, just asking the question like, why? Why are white body people, you know, like perpetrating so much hatred and pain on black bodies? You know, why? And I was just like irreconcilable. I was just in my heart. I was in so much pain. And I heard this voice in my head or outside of me that said like, Victoria, they have lost their humanity. And then I kind of understood that and it softened me. And when I try to have some of these conversations, I do try to remember to go back and see and acknowledge what was perpetrated, what they perpetrated among themselves. Like slavery and lynching and burning of bodies were perfected on themselves. And that is in their lineage. And then they went to the Americas and they went to Africa and took bodies and continue that violence. So if I bring that violence to me, that violence is not going to help to heal it. I'm going to continue to feed it and perpetrate it. And so I'm trying to eradicate it in myself so that I don't perpetrate it. So when we talk about compassion, it's like I can have compassion for that lineage and that lived experience and how it's being embodied in these in their bodies, but I am going to draw the line. Because I am not going to be compassionate to a point where you're going to continue to cause harm on the world. I am not. Because I think there's been a misinterpretation of compassion. Compassion does not mean you lay down and you let somebody walk on you. Compassion means if there's a flame being burned and you see a child taking their hand and going for that flame, you hold that child's hand and you pull it back. That's compassion. So I hope compassion very firmly. I hear you. I support you. I feel you. And I'm going to also hold you accountable for your actions. And I'm going to hold you capable of being able to heal yourself and heal your community and heal your lineage so that you don't continue to perpetrate the pain onto this planet and other people. That's what I try to do. Yes. I'm glad that you spoke to it. As I said, it's coming up a lot. And I think people are confused and feel like we can't set boundaries if we're extending compassion and it's not that binary. We can extend boundaries and say no more of this while we recognize the ways in which folks have lost their humanity to what you named and how you named that. So I just appreciate the way you're thinking about it, that there are limits, right? You can understand something and see the layers and also say, don't continue to harm me or us. And that we have to, that's Passionate act towards right, exactly you're saying that it might be the most compassionate thing you can actually do. Compassion doesn't mean that you're going to let someone continue to like barrage you and burn your house down and kill your children. That is not compassion. Compassion is saying no. You cannot continue right. to put kids in cages. That is not the way that humans are humans. Find your humanity, and I'm going to hold it here. I'm going to be right here 
And I'm going to hold that line until you can find your compassion. To me, part of what I hear is we have different work to do. And I mean, I feel this, that you're clear about your work and what it is and what it's not. And I actually think that clarity can be really supportive and helpful because I think people are confused. And I think just knowing like, this is my job and and I'm going to work on healing in this way and believe that that white-bodied folks or any folks who are supporting systems of oppression and superiority, that they can heal, but you're not actually doing that work for them. You just trust it can happen. And I think that's so important for people to hear and understand. Yeah. It's interesting because I work with a lot of white body people, right? And I definitely had to be get very clear with myself. I had to get very clear because this can be get, get, get slippery, you know. I am not here as your mommy, all right? I am not here as your absolver. I am here as your friend, your guide, your whatever, right? And you need to do your work because otherwise you're just perpetuating a system of oppression that's killing me and my family and everyone I love. And I really try to bring that. And, you know, I've been doing work with groups for, you know, five or six years. And yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to watch them as a cohort, you know, like grow and change and, and release and acknowledge and reconcile. White people have a lot of healing to do. At least I would say here in the United States, you know, but globally, (laughs) but here in the United States, because this is where I am, I would say that, and more and more of them are beginning to realize like, oh my gosh, I need to not only do it for myself, but I also need to go back and do it for my family and talk to my family and talk to my, and that is such a blessing, you know, when white people wake up and say, okay, I want to be part of the solution. And I want to talk to my my mother, I want to talk to my father, I want to deal with this in my community and not be like, oh, I want to go and do it for the Black people and I want to go and rescue them. And I want to, you know, it's like, no, that's not your job. That's not your work. So maybe I'm in a little bubble, but I'm in a place where I'm seeing more and more of that happening and I'm I'm very grateful. Yeah, I, I am seeing that too and experiencing it. And I was talking to a friend the other day and we were just talking like about white people aren't going to save us. And often when they're awakened are conditioned to believe that we need to be saved mm-hmm. or fixed and that they can actually do that. And, and you're right. That's not true. And if that were the case, it actually would have happened by now. Right. <laughs> if, if we were waiting for like white people and salvation, like there are enough people who've resisted the construct of race that would have happened. That's not what's happening. And we have to do our own work. And if we're waiting on white people to do it, they need to dismantle racism and white supremacy within themselves and institutions and culture. But if we're waiting on them to save us, we're going to be waiting forever and ever and ever. So we've got to get be creative and figure out and remember actually is what I think. We need to remember how to be in community, how not to split one another apart, how to heal, how to engage in ritual how to practice collective care. And I think in large part we do because we've had to. And I think there's just more of that that needs to happen because you just can't look to white people to like save us or change this. They have work to do. And so do we. Thanks for speaking to that. The other day I was with some friends and we were walking on this land and he was telling, sharing, and I I was walking with this um, white woman and she said it was like, you know, she's a friend, but we don't really know each other well, just mostly, you know, connecting here and there. And I don't know, we started talking about the slave route and all of that. And I just felt all this anger and rage coming up. And he said to me, like, he was saying something and I was just like, 
you know, I'm getting angry right now. I'm just getting angry right now. And we started, we kept walking and then she just started talking about something else. And she changed the subject, started talking about something else. And I was just like, I am so done. I'm done. I'm out. I gotta go. I gotta go. So I started walking, we were walking and I was just like, and afterwards she wrote me a message. She wrote me a text because we were at the cars and I was just like, I'm just tired. I just need to go home. I have other things I need to do kind of thing. And like, I just didn't want to engage in that right now. Right. And so I left. And then she wrote me a, a text and the text was, she named everything that happened all throughout and she apologized. And I read it and I was like, okay, we can still connect. <laughs> it was like, all right. <laughs> you know, because it's never going to be perfect, right? It's never going to be perfect. But if you at least have somebody that's like really can, can consciously see where things happen and can apologize and make repairs, like, okay, we can continue this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In my experience, every relationship is, is pretty messy. Any relationship that's building or that we want to sustain or that is an intentional relationship, right? They're messy. And it does take what you named, especially across lines of difference, for someone to be able to acknowledge what happened, their part in it, to be accountable. And you still get to decide, depending on the identities of the folks, like, you know, do I want to continue in this relationship? So yeah, I feel that. I'm wondering if you could share some, because you're holding a lot of spaces, and if you could share some about just some themes that are coming up in those spaces in your work, just with the folks here, the different groups you're working with. What what I'm finding is that there's a lot of people that want to help. You know, I'm finding there's a lot of people that want to be of service, at least in the circles that I'm moving in. And they're really just wanting to figure out how best to do it without causing harm. And that goes from like, you know, one of the groups that I work with is a, it's a group called Young Women Empowered. And it's a group of young adults, actually, that are really working very closely with young women and gender nonconforming youth and making meaning of this moment and also utilizing their voice and their creativity and power to affect change. And so they really are just constantly figuring out, like, what tools to use and what skills can they bring to it? How to engage their creativity more and how to engage the youth creativity to continue to keep them engaged so that they don't become disenchanted and disengaged. And so how to do that and also how to harness and support their power and their fire. You know, that's one group. And then another group that I'm working with, it's like the science of non-duality, which is how we met. And I don't know if you've seen the latest event post, but you probably take a look at it, at dying and living. And you could see the presenters that are coming onto that platform. And the work that they're trying to do internally to really have that organization be more representative. And so they're beginning to really make some movement there. And because they're doing mostly, they have this platform of events, production and that kind of stuff, right? It's really about how do we use this and be of service and not cause harm. So that's exciting. And then there's other work like with Orlin Bishop, the teacher that I was talking about, you know, he used to work in LA. Well, he still works in LA and lives in LA, but he used to work with a group that was like, they brokered a treaty between the Bloods and the Crips. And he does a lot of like rituals and ceremonies and all of that. And so he's been really developing, wanting to develop a sanctuary in LA where people can come and find refuge and respite and study and practice these rituals from Africa. And then also 
provide sanctuary for people to come through. And so there's a whole bunch of people that are kind of coming around him around that and figuring out how to be of service. How do we use our resources to uplift humanity, right? And then the final one I'll tell you is that this other group that I'm working with that we have this interesting experiment with six Black body women and six white women of wealth. And coming together, we've been coming together for the past year. They were together one year beforehand where they studied around race and class and wealth. And then we came together with the six body women. And now we're talking about, well, what does reparations look like? We're calling it the return. But what does reparation look like? And we ended up establishing an experiment in which each of the women of wealth allocated a certain amount of money and then said to the black body women to ask, like, how do you want to use this money? How do you want to disperse this money? And so we are in that conversation and there's more wealth coming to be able to do that. So everything is up for reassessment, revaluation. As things are crumbling and dismantling, we also have an opportunity to create something new and different that works for all of us. And that's kind of, I think, where people are at right now. It's like the themes are, okay, how do we keep our energy up? How do we heal? How do we become of service and not do harm? And how can we begin to share the abundance of this planet and not leave people behind and stop doing harm to the planet? So that's a lot of different things, but essentially is how do we not do harm? Right. <laughs> how do we not do harm? It's very exciting. And all of the different ways we can look at mitigating harm, minimizing harm, and creating different ways of being spiritually and monetarily, if we think about reparations and how we are in community and rest and respite for BIPOC folks and folks who are most marginalized, right, by dominant culture. So. Thank you for sharing what you're experiencing and noticing in in the different work you're doing at this time. And I think my final question is, and we talked about this with Ritual, but I wonder if there's more you want to say about how you are finding refuge at this time. Like in what ways are you finding refuge or respite? How is that happening for you? You know, I actually took a sabbatical. It's not a full sabbatical because I'm still working on special projects. (laughs) You know, because this is the other thing is, this is a hard time to disengage. I couldn't, I just couldn't. I was like, I have been talking to my organization for the past several years about wanting to take a sabbatical. And I just, I anyway, it got complicated. And then here we are with COVID. I was going to take it before COVID hit. I had it all planned out. I was going to go do all kinds of amazing body center things. But COVID hit. And then it was like, oh my gosh, you know, we have to like, engage and support these organizations that I'm working with and committed to. So I couldn't fully take it on, but I decided to to go ahead and still go on sabbatical and work on my special projects, which are amazing and blossoming into all kinds of stuff. Where I'm finding refuge is in actually taking really like control of my schedule. (laughs) I, I go on my calendar and I'm like, I don't need to do that. 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 And just like, clear schedule. And I'm, I'm getting it to a point where I'm going to be like, okay, I'm only going to be available on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Everything else is free time for me to like do whatever the heck I want in however way I want, because otherwise everything's just getting full. Everything gets full and I need to be emptied. 
I need to be empty. Even, you know, so I, I have to control my own self. I have to control myself in my birth. I birth a lot of things. Yeah. So, you know, I might just speak it. And before you know it, it's happening. And it's like, you know, and so I have to like, okay, I'm going to reel that back. And I'm going to give myself, I decided now that from now, October, I'm going to finish up the commitments I have. But November and December, I am not committing to anything. I'm just going to spend some time with my family and I'm going to rest and I'm going to read and I'm just going to go inward. I'm going to become a mouse and find a hole and crawl into it because otherwise it just keeps turning, right? Turning and I need to create more space for emptiness. So that's how I'm finding refuge. Yeah. A lot of Black women that I've been talking to that are my friends and people I'm in relationship with have shared the same thing about clearing like the calendar and saying no to things. And I'm just noticing that as a theme. It struck me when you said, I need to be empty. Like I need more space for emptiness, which is such an interesting thing to think. And it makes complete sense to me. It's like, yes, that is what we need. And the grind culture is real. And if we're called to social change work and supporting people and connecting with their higher consciousness and our collective humanity, Like right now, it's difficult to disengage because it's like, oh, actually, this may be the moment I am supposed to be fully engaged. And there's a tension for me around that. So I just really love what you said about emptiness and committing to that too and taking control of your schedule so you can find refuge in ways that you may not even know about now, right? Once you have that space and that emptiness and time. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you know, I'm finding that, and we started this conversation with my saying, you know, when when you know what you're doing and you're about doing what needs to be done, you know, like you're being called, right? You're being engaged. And the thing is that that's not going to change. And I'm really realizing that if I can create more space to be emptied, the power that emerges will even be stronger. When I'm too full, then I have very little to offer. And what I offer feels more shallow. So yeah, I need to do it for myself. And for the world. Yeah. I appreciate what you said about, you know, I mean, everything you just said, but things will emerge from that emptiness that we can't even fathom right now. They just will, because if we're too full, we can't see that. And yeah, I think you're right that being called isn't going to change. And what I hear and what you shared is it's like, how do we want to respond to the call? And when do we want to respond to it? Because the urgency isn't really going anywhere. So how can we take care of ourselves and return to ourselves and listen to that call as we are feeling and responding to the call of humanity, right? And I am for that emptiness. You are the second person I've spoken to in the last week who they're going on a sabbatical or in in the middle of a sabbatical. And I'm 2022, I'm taking a sabbatical. I am committed to it. (laughs) It is happening. I just need a year to prepare for it um, because of my schedule. But I'm like, it's happening. At least a three-month sabbatical is happening. And so thank you for inspiring me. And my other friend, Erin Trent Johnson, is the other person who's about to go on sabbatical. And Oh, good for her. Yeah, it's good happening. Good for her. And she's, when is she doing it? I think in 2021 at the beginning is what I think. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah, you see, that's what I mean. You know, you're doing stuff. I'm doing stuff. She's doing stuff. And it's like, oh my God, this is the time. The other piece and this, you know, we don't touch on a little bit, but anyway... It's just that this also this is the time where there's so much uncertainty in terms financially, and there's also a lot of finances 
right now, right? In terms of like, you know, people are just like, can we just book you? Can we just and it's like, and, and it's like, feels like almost like for a long time, the trees have had the fruits, you know, and all of a sudden they're all falling at once. And you're like out there with your bucket, be like, I gotta can the fruits. I gotta dry the fruits. I gotta store them for the winter, you know? And it's just like, you know what? Just gotta let some of those fruit rot and let it feed the earth. And I'm just gonna take enough for this winter. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> You know, so, yeah. And there will be more fruit. And there will be more fruit. Well, is there anything you'd like to share with listeners about how they can connect with you if you want them to? That's not based on everything we just talked about. That's not a requirement. Although I say that to everyone, you don't have to. Or anything you want them to know about or any sort of final words in this conversation. You know, right now, what's going to happen for me is, like I said, I have a couple of commitments that I'm going to end in November, like at the beginning of November. I'm doing a training with ERE, which are and also does training through ERE, which is the Equity Racial Education. And then I'm going to take a pause and I will be organizing some offerings January, the end of January, February, that's going to be very centered on healing. But I think maybe you can put my website later in the website for the ERE, which is, will be a place that people can can go back and look. But right now, there's really nothing else except I would just encourage people to create space for themselves, to take care of themselves, and to make sure that they drink water and take walks and just create some space to reflect. Thank you for who you are and your practice in the world and the gifts you are and gifts you bring and share. And I'm calling in that emptiness for you and that space. And thank you for being here with me today and for sharing all that you have. Thank you so much, Rochelle, and good luck to you and all the projects that you're doing, and thank you for the service that you are and the person that you are in this world. I look forward to getting to know you more as the years go by, and I'm going to hold the intention of your sabbatical (laughs) (laughs) in 2020 to 2022. Yes. You may may even get an email from me being like, hey, where are you in your planning? (laughs) It's happening. I'm committed to it. It's happening. And yes, I would love to continue to connect. And thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. You can support Finding Refuge by rating it on iTunes and by sharing it with friends and beloveds. You can support my work, the work of skill in action, creating justice in the world, by becoming a patron on Patreon. Visit my page there. It is skill in action. I hope you take care of yourself and that we take care of one another. Be well, friends.